Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle and last class session we talked about Sin City. This class session we're going to go into Planet Terror. For those of you not too familiar with Planet Terror, um, Planet Terror is the first half of a double feature that uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did called Grindhouse which was supposed to replicate a very particular movie experience that has been lost for, oh, I don't know, probably about 30 going on 40 years now. So there used to be these cruddy theaters in towns that maybe they were the old vaudeville stage or, you know, they, they're where... You know, they, they used to be the big, cool theater at one point, but then, the, you know, the town changed and the neighborhood changed and the theater just kind of went to pot. Um, and what they would do is they would show low-budget exploitation films. Exploitation films are films that are designed to exploit something, basically, whether it's you know, um, teen cheerleaders. I mean, not, not exploit... Just exploit an idea to get people to come see the movie. Whether it's Teen Cheerleaders or The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman or, uh, you know, uh, women in prison movies, um, you know, black urban action heroes, you know, what, whatever. Just something to get people to come see the movie. But then they would also show, like, the latest blockbuster in, like, the last week on its theatrical run the week before it went to Kmart in Super 8, you know, because we, cause we didn't have VHS, like, in the 70s, you know, and you could see these strange double bills, and you could watch, double, you know, a horror double feature one day and then watch um, an exploitation movie paired with, uh, you know, paired with, with a movie that had been out for a year and a half and did pretty good business. And especially with the exploitation films that would come through, um, those movies were so low, bu low budget that at most they would do like 10, 10 prints, 10 theatrical prints of the film, and then just kind of tour it from town to town, moving from, you know, like Chattanooga to Memphis and then to Cincinnati or, you know, what have you, just kind of moving across the country. And so if you were on the East Coast, you know, when the movie was on its first couple of weeks, the movie looked pretty good. But by the time it had gotten across the country, the print was all beat up and it was, there were all these scratches in it. And, you know, some of the print had faded. And, and especially since a lot of these movies, part of, part of what they were exploiting was sex. They would have missing, you know, they have these weird splices in it where the projectionist was like, no one's ever going to see this. I'll just take out, you know, this this shot of this naked woman, you know, just like these like four frames of this naked woman and take it home. Um, or like an entire reel would be missing, um, <laughs> you know, just this weird stuff. And almost everything they showed was a double feature, which means that there were some trailers before there was an intermission with trailers. Quentin Tarantino and Robert, Rod Robert Rodriguez really wanted to try to bring back that experience for people once again. Um, and it kind of started with Rodriguez thinking, well, I just did a movie in 3D, Spy Kids 3D, you know, and I've kind of brought that back. What's another old school 
movie experience that has kind of been forgotten. And he thought, oh, double features. Um, he had a poster of a double bill that was Drag Strip Girl and and Rock All Night. So he kind of filed the idea away. And then like a year later or something, he's at Quentin Tarantino's house. And he sees that exact same poster. And he's like, oh, that's right. I had this idea of doing a double feature. Oh, you know what we could do? I could do one half of the double feature. Then you could do the other half of the double feature, you know, and we'll release it, you know, like this kind of grindhouse experience, you know, and, and Tarantino immediately was like, yes. And, and, and the double feature that we're basically releasing as one movie has to be called grindhouse. Perfect. So they were off and running and Rodriguez kind of revived this like 30 pages that he had written a long time ago. That was this horror movie kind of zombie type movie. And so Quentin decided that, that they should stay in the horror genre and he would do his own thing. And we'll talk about that later uh, when we get to death proof, because the thing is, even though grindhouse is its own experience, these movies also function on their own. And since we're talking about both of them, I, I, I thought it would behoove us to talk about them not only within the context of the grindhouse experience, but also outside the context as individual films. One of the great things is that you can get the individual movies and there's an extended cut in them um, because they had to cut a lot of stuff down to really streamline the grindhouse movie because, you know, I mean, you're talking about like a three hour, three and a half hour experience, um, you know, with the trailers because there's like four trailers, I think, in this movie or something ridiculous like that. You know, for for totally fake movies, but for more grindhousey type movies, the kind of stuff that you would see, you know, in a grindhouse theater. So there's all this stuff that they're trying to do. And so what Rodriguez did is he immediately goes to Quentin because Quentin has this collection of film prints. And a lot of times what he'll do is he'll kind of stage a similar thing in his own house. Well, he'll, he'll have movie nights at Quentin's and he'll do a double bill and he'll cut in trailers and all that kind of stuff. And so there's these there's these odd images that come up at the beginning of Planet Terror that are straight from Quentin's collection, basically. You know, there's that preview of coming attractions thing. There's the, and now for our feature presentation or whatever. Um, and there's like the cat about the, I don't even know. So he, he, he basically takes all that stuff straight from Quentin's library of film prints. And then because Rodriguez shot digitally, he went in and distressed his images to make it look as much like an old film print as possible. Like a film print that had gone from Chattanooga all the way to, you know, Phoenix and was all messed up and, you know, had not been well taken care of and had all kinds of crap happen to it. Um, and, 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 and some of it was stuff he would do realistically. Like, for example, um, at the beginning and end, at the beginning and end of where a reel would be, a reel of, of film he would add more more scratches and splices and 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 things because because those would have been the ends that got the most the most wear and tear um but then he also took that you know and then there's the missing reel but he also took those kinds of things and used them in a way to add a certain amount of dramatic effect to the film like for example he would take the scratches and 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 really like you know, there'd be an explosion of, of scratches as, as as a scene would build in suspense or build toward horror. Um, you know, the scratches would get more and more heavy to where, like, you can only, like, kind of see what's going on and stuff like that. Um, or he'd use, like, splices and jump cuts 
um, if something scary, you know, or, or horrific was, was moving, you know, toward a protagonist. And, and normally the way he shot it would kind of be toward the audience as well. Um, so he kind of bring it faster at you, you know. And then there's this scene where there's this red wash that comes across uh, the image, which, which, which is based in reality where a lot of these reels would kind of deteriorate over time and you'd lose some of the color. And so... You know, one reel would be green and one would be magenta, you know, and it's just it's just all all messed up. And there's this really dark scene that Quentin Tarantino stars in. Um, and so Rodriguez thought it would be a good idea to have this kind of red wash slowly drift into the frame and kind of overtake the scene and, and, and give it this extra darkness and grittiness that wasn't there before. Um, and then, of course, there's the missing reel. And the best part about the missing reel is not only not only does it cut a sex scene short or a love scene short, but it also, there's a ton of stuff that happens in that missing reel. And we have no idea what, like as the audience, you don't know what happened. There's all this, you know, you find out that one of these characters is actually somebody else and the building that they're in is on fire and there's all these um, zombies outside and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, but all of that happens in the missing reel that's not in the movie, which is, which is great fun. But there were other things that he did in his approach to the film. Things like um, the original title was going to be Project Terror. But once this became a Grindhouse movie, he thought, no, the name's got to be better than that. It's got to be bigger than that. It has to promise something that will never deliver, which was a very typical Grindhouse, you know, a very typical exploitation move. So he calls it Planet Terror. And then he... He knew that that his his female lead was going to lose her leg at some point in the movie. That was already determined, but he needed he needed a really striking image, something that would grab the audience immediately and something that would promise and deliver just as well as his Machete trailer, which did gangbusters, you know, which was just phenomenal. Um and then that turned into of course two movies and hopefully a third. Um so so as the central image, all of a sudden he sees this this beautiful woman, you know, with with one leg gone and it's been replaced by an M sixteen, you know, perfect. Um, you know, I mean, how much more exploit you know exploitation can you get? Because um, you can combine sex and violence in the same image, you know. And as he was working on how to direct it, he thought, well, I need to approach it as if this was my first movie. And my first movie was for Roger Corman. Roger Corman was the name amongst names in exploitation cinema. I mean, he produced over 400 films. I think he's still producing movies. And I think one of them has lost money. And the only one that lost money was the one that he did as a very serious drama. And the rest of them are all exploitative. And they all made money. You know, and so he's like, well, how would I do it if I was doing it for Corman? Oh, I know what I would do. I'd do a very film school thing where I'd come up with all these tricky transitions from scene to scene. And you lose a lot of those in the Grindhouse release. But in the um, in the extended version, Planet Terror just on its own, all of those are put back in. And one of the first things he decided on was that they needed to have a kid in the movie. And that kid would have to die in just a stupid way. Um, because if nothing else, it would be unnerving to the audience. Because the horror in the movie is like really dumb and over the top and cheesy, you know. It's it's the horror of the movie is 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 on par with 
with From Dust Till Dawn. It's not scary. It's kind of funny and comical and it's over the top and all that kind of stuff. Um, but these Grindhouse movies who had all of that then would like go too far somewhere. And it'd be really unnerving and really just awful and it's just wrong and off-putting. Um, and so he's like, well, we got to do that. So so he had the kid die, although he shot a version where the kid lives, in part because he ended up casting his son and he wanted his son to feel like he, you know, was in the movie and didn't die. But then he also, uh, also in case he decided to change his mind later and thought it would be too much, then he could have a version where the kid lived. You know, and, and, and there's this big go-go dance number at the opening, you know, so... And then, and then we go backstage and there's naked women, you know, because the beauty of these exploitation movies was if you put something in like, like that in the beginning, then it would kind of burn in the audience's mind and make them feel like there was more of it than there was because the whole movie, you're, you're subconsciously ready for it to just happen again, you know, who knows? And then, and then he did other typical things, you know, that, that are also just good low budget tricks. Like, like you have someone say, um, it's below our feet, 10 stories down, you know, and then, and then we see them wherever that is, but you never see them going down the 10 stories, you know, it's just, (laughs) um, stuff like that. But then one of the other genius things that he did was he cast Bruce Willis. Um, cause Bruce Willis has had such fun doing Sin City. He told him, Hey, look, anytime, anywhere, any place, any role, I'll be there. So Rodriguez figured out a way to do all of Bruce Willis stuff in just like two days. Um, by basically shooting the rest of the scene without him and then just shooting him in like singles, you know, <laughs> so that just clean singles so that nobody else had to be there. It was basically just Bruce Willis day for two days. Um, and, and that's something that exploitation movies still do to this day. You know, there's movies that have had Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and, and all these big name actors, big name action actors. And they're only there for like a few days and the rest of the movie is just done with a double, you know? Um, so stuff like that. And then there were other things that kind of cropped up as the movie went on. Like, uh, for example, one of his actors, Jeff Fahey had, had just gotten off another movie and his hair's really short and he just let it grow during the movie. And so there's scenes where his hair's short and then there's scenes where his hair's long and then it's back to short again. And, and Rodriguez was like, look, it doesn't matter. It's an exploitation movie. It, it, you know, this kind of stuff happened all the time in these kinds of movies. Um, or like when the character who plays the sheriff, he'd counted the bullets he fired during the scene. And he's like, I think I shot six times that scene. Do I need to reload in my next shot and then come back up? And Rodriguez said, don't worry about it. It's not that kind of movie. And Rodriguez has never been super big into caring about continuity, but especially not on this film. It just didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, there's gear in the shots. Uh, not all of them, but some of the shots, you see a light if you're looking for it. It's just right there. So that was kind of how Rodriguez went about recreating this grindhouse aesthetic to to bring back that experience that 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 moviegoers had had lost for so long. But there's an interesting thing that I want to talk about because I want to talk about thinking outside the box as well. Um, and there's a really fascinating thing that comes up when you look at the bonus features of Planet Terror, where he talks about because remember he'd only had about thirty pages when he started. You know, he, he, he just recycled this old script that he knew he could throw in here. But then he went back and looked at it, and he, he, you know, he, he kept writing a little bit. But finally he got to a point where he just had enough for actors to come in and read. That's it. Just enough. 
Just enough for actors to come in and read for the parts. The script isn't even finished, but he's casting already. And what he did was, once he cast an actor, he would use that actor as the basis for the character. And then he was writing to them and to their strengths, and it would shed new light on these characters that he had no clue was there before. Because now he was inspired, because he had he had some he had a different place to start than he had when he had initially started just writing. I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna present an idea that he talks about in the Spy Kids 3D commentary. I just didn't think it fit. It works really well with this. He said, "I tend to think people have these finished works in the closet of their brain. They just got to go into that closet and dig all the other stuff out in order to find it." And he's talking about the creative process. He's talking about look. You've already done all the, like, like subconsciously, if you have an idea, in his experience, that idea is basically already a finished work in your head. It's just, you just need to keep digging at it and picking at it, and stuff is just going to almost seem like it just reveals itself to you. I know I have moments like this where all of a sudden an idea just clicks in my brain, and I'm like, well, why didn't I think about that before? That's, that's incredible. That... That, that, that seems so right and it seems so natural. And it almost doesn't even feel like it came from me. It's like something just snapped in me and an idea came about. So Rodriguez revisits this closet analogy. And he realized on this film that the right actor will give you some of the pieces that you were missing. They have some of the pieces too. It's not just you. Um, they have pieces that when added to your pieces all of a sudden make it that much better and that much newer and all that kind of stuff. So, like, for example, when he cast Rose McGowan, the first thing he he, he had already written uh, the grind or the Planet Terror theme, which was this very grindy, you know, psalm that had, you know, was gross and dirty and, you know, but he knew it would make for a good opening scene at like a club at like a go go club. Right. So he, 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 he casts Rose and he said, the first thing he says, can you dance? And she says, yeah, I can dance. He's like, perfect. Okay. That means your character is going to be a dancer and you're going to lose your leg in this movie. Cause he already had losing the leg, but he knew he's like, okay, perfect. She'll dance. And then when she loses that leg, that's like a big thing, you know, cause that's like her, her livelihood. Right. Um, and there's all these things that she could do, like back arches and, and talks about it, having all these useless talents and, and people saying that she should be a stand-up comedian and, and just things from her personality. And he pulled all that into the character. So even though he didn't write Rose McGowan, the character is still Cherry Darling. But it has all these elements of Rose McGowan in it that help Rose McGowan shine and help make Cherry Darling feel more like a character, not just this caricature, you know? And then when he cast Freddie Rodriguez as Ray, Ray wasn't supposed to be the badass of the movie, but once he cast Ray, he's like, gosh, that guy. And then all of a sudden Ray starts taking on these all, all, you know, he starts thinking of all these things that Ray can do in the movie. And he's like, okay, Ray is now, you know, the badass of the movie because I've got this guy who can do that. You know, and there are other things, smaller things, like, um, you know, the sheriff and Jeff Fahey's character, the barbecue guy. You know, he, he has a little barbecue joint. You know, he came up with this idea of making them brothers and making them like these kind of bar, like having this barbecue feud, uh, which is very based in 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 a lot of uh, real life stories of Texas barbecue. Um, so there's all these things that weren't in the script 
before Rodriguez cast it. But be, but by thinking outside the box, by not doing things the typical way, they ended up in the script because of who he cast. So he sort of reverse engineered his characters, and that reverse engineered the story in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he had other things like Naveen Andrews. Um, you know, he had certain things about his character that came about because he cast him. So don't be afraid to think outside the box and to work outside of the normal, well, in order to make a movie, you need to do this, then you need to do this, then you need, you know. That's not filmmaking. Filmmaking is not the process. It's it, it's not limited to one way of doing things. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can learn from Robert Rodriguez. So that's all I've got for Planet Terror. Uh, check out our latest experiment in the Rodriguez Method on uh, Hitchcock University, the YouTube channel. Um, there's always news and updates for those kinds of things on uh, on the Facebook page, just Hitchcock University, or on Twitter. Um, Twiddle Hander is at Hitch underscore U, as in university. If you like what you're listening to, um, you can uh, reach out to the podcast through our through our Gmail account, HitchcockUniversity at gmail.com. You can also leave a like, a rating, a comment, a review, whatever, um, some sort of affirmation or uh, criticism, if you'd like, or constructive criticism. That's even better. Um, wherever it is you listen to the show, whether it's SoundCloud, TuneIn, Radio, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, of course. Um, after, so in two weeks, we're going to do, we're going to pivot back to Quentin. And we're going to do Inglorious Bastards. We're going to do Janko Unchained. And we're going to do The Hateful Eight. I'm not covering any of Rodriguez's films in that time because, quite frankly, there's just not enough information to make it work. I'm doing things differently on my end to try to make sure that we get the most out of this, all of us. Um, I know toward the end of last year, I was really forcing a lot of Scorsese's episodes because there just wasn't that much information to get. I've learned from that, and I'm I'm changing how we do things, and I'm I'm doing my best to work ahead as much as possible. So, I would love to do an episode on Machete. There's just not that information out there. Um, I don't know how to do an episode on Sin City two without just repeating everything we talked about on Sin City. Um, I don't know, and the same thing would happen with Machete Kills. I there's there's just not enough information on these movies, easily attainable by me to. To move us in a in a direction that would be beneficial for all of us. Um, so we're going to do a heavy Tarantino run. We're going to do Bastards, Django, and The Hateful Eight. And then um, there should be plenty of, of information on Alita. And then there should be plenty of information, I'm hoping, on Once Upon a Time in Mexico. But even even some of that, or not Mexico, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But even some of that might change. So we'll just kind of have to see how this goes. And then uh, we we should be ready, uh, you know, up and ready to start talking about uh, our next semester. Uh, which I think I know where it's going to go, but um, I want to spend a little bit more time on this first. But yeah, that's all we have for Hitchcock University. Thank you all for listening. Uh, my name has been Taylor Pickle, and I will talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks so much.